I'm Angela Ross, and this is SoCal Voices. The California Festival is a two-week statewide celebration of new music from across the globe. Music directors of the L.A. Philharmonic, San Diego Philharmonic, and San Francisco Symphony envisioned this event featuring compositions from compelling and forward-looking composers. On November 19th, the Inland Empire will be represented at one of the festival's concerts by none other than the Riverside Philharmonic. Here to share more about this unique and collaborative participation in the festival and his own music career is the conductor of the Riverside Philharmonic, Tomas Golka. Tomas, welcome to SoCal Voices. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Wonderful to have you. Hey, you know, it's fair to say that music was all around you when you first came into the world, right? I mean, your mother was a pianist, your father a trombonist. And so you came to music by very direct experience. I'd love for you to to first talk about your childhood and when you discovered that you loved music and knew that you wanted to pursue it as a career. Well, Thank you for the question, Angela. Yes, it's true. Uh, I think one of my fondest memories uh, of childhood is hearing my parents practicing. My mother, just like you said, on the piano, my father on the trombone. To to this day, especially the sound of the trombone, because the piano one hears more often in various contexts, but the trombone is, it's rarer that one hears playing by itself. So every time I hear a solo trombone, it kind of conjures up these images of of my dad practicing. I think that it it was inevitable for me to be around music because my parents were doing it, especially my dad, because he played uh, in an orchestra. So I should say that I was born in Poland and then we moved to Mexico. And that's where I started school. That's where I started music in in Veracruz in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And my dad was a member of the Veracruz Symphony. And so frequently after school, I would walk over to where my dad rehearsed and I would just kind of sit there waiting for them to finish their rehearsals, obviously listening to the orchestra play. And then we would walk home. And the way my mother tells this story is that there was this very attractive woman in the first violin section. And you know, the, the, the violins are kind of in the front of the, of the orchestra. So you can see them. I'm imagining myself as this, you know, small little kid who can't really see behind in the back rows of, of instruments. Yeah. And, and she says that I just fell in love with her and I wanted her to become my violin teacher. So I think that's pretty much what happened. (laughs) I mean, she must've been, I don't know, in her thirties or forties at the time, but um, that's, that's the way my mother tells the story. I I, I don't know. I I would assume it's true, but I don't really remember that particular (laughs) aspect. Um, But I do remember that I started playing the violin with Polish members of the orchestra and my parents didn't really want me to go into music because they knew it's a difficult life. It's not, mm. you know, it's not, it doesn't have the uh, stability that other fields have. It was different in communist Eastern Europe because in communist Eastern Europe, I think that there were several things that really represented a, a way out of the difficulties and of the poverty and music, maybe gymnastics and chess things like that were among those. I mean, you, you can sort of think back to this Soviet era and think about what, whether it was, you know, Soviet or Polish or, or, or Ukrainian or Czech athletes or musicians, they were kind of internationally renowned because mm-hmm. in many ways, those were the, the fields that were really supported by the government. So as, as terrible as it was to live in under communism in Eastern Europe, the musicians were valued. 
Mm-hmm. And that isn't something that necessarily was as as clear and as stable in the West, ironically. So my parents knew that that's the difficult life. And they didn't really, since we were now, we, we escaped Poland to, to go to Mexico. And later, they didn't know yet that we're going to live in the States. They didn't necessarily want me to want me to do that. But I would take these sticks that I would find in the yard in our house in Veracruz. And I'd walk around looking like I'm playing the violin and they knew there's no way around this. So they, they let me do it finally. Yeah. It was in your blood. It was, it was literally no and figuratively. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. What characteristics make a musician a good conductor? That's a wonderful question. You know, I, I was very fortunate. I studied conducting. I had several great conducting teachers. One in particular comes to mind about this question, Gustav Meyer, probably the greatest conducting teacher of the uh, second half of the 20th century and beginning of the 21st, uh, who passed away, uh, I don't know, let's say 10 years ago, seven, eight something years ago, something like that. He, there was an article, before I ever studied with him, um, there was an article that I read about him in, I want to say the New Yorker, but I don't, I don't know where it was. He, the, the question that he was asked in the interview was, are conductors born or made? And I remember that that was a very fascinating notion to me. And he said they are absolutely made. He said there's there's no question about the fact that, you know, you have to have some kind of natural abilities in music, of course. I mean, we, we all, I believe that every person on this planet has their unique uh, uh, talents and abilities. And those of us fortunate enough to, to, to find what those are and be able to work in in a field that's somehow related to that are very, very blessed. But I think that the, I, the concept of becoming a conductor, I think is really something that one trains for. Mm-hmm. You learn the, the, the skills, you learn about the, the orchestra. I, I always imagine it like, like being a basketball coach. And I'm no, I'm no expert in basketball. I'm gonna start with that, but that's the analogy I always give people because um, coaches, obviously they're not actively on the court playing during games. Right. But I think in the best possible situations, the coaches, first of all, have a clear understanding of of every function of every player. It's not just an intellectual thing. All those all those coaches come from playing backgrounds usually. And so because they are aware of all of the different skill sets necessary to excel in any given position, they can help individuals uh, play at their best and they can also have a, a vision of how this group of people can work together uh, to to perform at their best. And I, I, I think that those skills are acquired. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I believe that you know, there was this, this concept that old men were conductors, right? I mean, if you right. sort of think back, you know, even to Bugs Bunny and, well, actually it's more Mickey Mouse, but you sort of see this white-haired white guy um, in a, of a certain age it was at a time when conducting wasn't studied as a specific profession. Today, in the modern age, we're very lucky because we, first of all, we live at a time where where conductors come of all in all sizes, shapes, colors, and ages. Um, and I think that's a much better situation because, first of all, it creates an environment where anyone can do that. If you go, if you go learn how to do it, you can do it. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It makes no difference what your physical characteristics are. And we hone in a little bit more on those skills that are actually necessary to be a conductor. I wonder what you love most uh, as an experienced conductor. What do you love most about conducting an orchestra? See, that's a, that's a wonderful question. And, and if you had asked me 20 years ago, I would have given you a, 
a very different answer. And this is, this is my first time giving this answer because I've been thinking about this question for a long time. And 20 years ago, my answer would have, would have been, oh, the music, the great pieces that I, I get to explore with, with musicians and, and with audiences and so on. And now it's a different answer. And it's not that I don't enjoy the music. Obviously, I do. But I think my favorite aspect of it is um, in the interactions with people. Because, you know, and especially, especially after COVID, where, where certainly somebody in my profession wasn't working, and not as a conductor anyway, because there's right. no, you can't, you can't do that. People, orchestras, I mean, there many people suffered, but certainly orchestras were on that group. It's not possible to do that. Right. You, you couldn't gather. You couldn't right. gather. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, so I think that for me, that hiatus from doing that really made me appreciate the fact that the experience of kind of communing and coming together to make these sounds is really is is incredibly uh valuable and and i'm going to use the word pleasurable because i think that music creates pleasure uh and i and i think it can be transcendental uplifting it can be many things and i think that is the primary aspect of it that i really enjoy and i it's it's gotten to the point right now that I think about the music differently because I'm right away from starting to learn a piece. I'm thinking about how the individuals are going to be uh, coming together in this, as opposed to an abstract kind of concept of, you know, some orchestra somewhere. I already know what orchestra it's going to be. I know what audience it's going to be. I mean, I don't know the individuals necessarily, but I know, I, I feel like I know our audience to a certain extent. I feel like I know our musicians to a certain extent. And I, I think it's, uh, I'll say about the orchestra, I think it's extraordinary the group of people that we have mm. because they, they really are some of the best in the world. And, you know, that's not something, I mean, I know I've been music director of many orchestras and people always take great pride in their orchestra. And it's very easy to say, oh, the symphony of, you know, town X in state X, yeah, we're the greatest ever. Well, usually that's not really an objectively true statement because they're not the greatest ever. And that's not to downplay certain small towns, but smaller cities don't have the talent pool because they don't necessarily have the, you know, three or $400 million budget that a Boston symphony might have or something. Sure, sure. So they can't necessarily attract the same level of talent. That's not to say that the talent isn't great, but, but there's a difference. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, you, I, I, there can be a really talented kid playing on the street, but he's not LeBron James, you know? Right. So uh, I think that in Riverside, it's extraordinary because of the proximity to the film, film industry. So mm-hmm. many musicians have chosen to move to Los Angeles to record in the film studios for, you know, Marvel and, 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 you know, Sony or whatever, whatever uh, the recording sessions are, all the music that we hear every single day on the radio. And I want to say television, but there's no more real television, Netflix. So, (laughs) so, so these extraordinary musicians come out here and can play anything that's put in front of them and record it. And we're very lucky in Riverside because those same people drive out to play symphonic stuff with us. Yeah, the interaction and and the beauty and the talent, all of it comes together in such a wonderful way that's rewarding for you and it's rewarding for the musicians and the audience. So it, it's good that you get a really good uh, feeling about that. In your in your role as a as a conductor, which of your own compositions has brought you the greatest satisfaction and why? 
Oh, that's a great question. You mean as a, as a composer, my own compositions, or you mean the comp the compositions by other people that I that I uh, would conduct? Well, let's let's do both. Let's both, talk about okay. the the music that you've composed, and then music you've played or that you have led others to play, and what is hitting your heart the most, and why? Well, let me let me start with with other people's music, and you know I. I'll, I'll say this. My, when people ask me, who's my favorite composer? My answer is usually the underdog. Hmm. And that's not any one person. There are composers, you know, I have a bookshelves of biographies of composers that I've, I've read books about. And many of them, many people have never heard of, and they're extraordinary people. And I feel very fortunate that I have the opportunity to share this music with people. And one of the one of the compositions that I've never actually conducted, I'm conducting it for the first time in February, and I'm particularly excited about it. I was just, just thinking about it, um, is the Negro Folk Symphony of, of um, William Dawson, William Levy Dawson, an extraordinary African-American composer. And this piece, you know, I'm particularly excited about it because it's very rare to discover a masterpiece that nobody's played. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one thing for me to, to, to uh, find a piece that's neglected a little bit, but this piece, and it's not to say that people aren't playing it now in 2023, they are playing it, but the piece was written in 1934, was premiered by the Philadelphia Orchestra in Carnegie Hall by uh, Leopold Stokowski, one of the most, probably the most famous conductor in the world at the time. And it should and it was the, the reviews in the New York Times were just extraordinary and it should have catapulted Dawson and the symphony to international fame. He should have received more. I wish he had received more commissions immediately thereafter to write more symphonies. I mean, I don't need to tell you, you know, the, the very dark history of, of our country here, but none of that happened. Right. Right. Because he was black. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, 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 the big cities on the East Coast you know, there was a couple of more performances and then, the, you know, none of the, every, it didn't get played anywhere. None of the orchestras in the, in the, not, in the not New York's and Boston's wanted to play it. And so, so the piece and the composer kind of faded away. And, and how, how lucky are we to live at a time now when we get to hear this music? I mean, you know, if I was, if I were living in the 1940s or 1950s, I could, you know, trumpet all I want about wanting to program this piece, but everybody would say, absolutely not. And so, I feel very fortunate to be able to perform this piece. It's a piece I've known for a long time, and I'm, I, I'm very excited about it. I'll tell you. I'm, it's, a, it's a real masterpiece, and it's a masterpiece that really, I am not African-American, obviously, but to my Eastern European senses, it, it really sings the beautiful songs of the African-American heritage and of the of the traditions and of the spirituals. And there's so much in it in a completely unique way that's not artificial or cheap in any way. It's really, it's written where the, where the spiritual melodies that, that Dawson incorporates are, are woven into the fab fabric of the piece. It's not just, they're not just variations on some theme. It, this is like, this is like in the, in the, in the DNA of the composition. And so it creates this sound that, it's unlike any piece of music I've ever heard. Literally, it's completely unique. And it's, it's a very accessible piece for the audience, for any audience. And there's a tr triumphant quality to it. And 
I'm very excited about it. So, so I think for me, you know, it's that uh, right now, that's my favorite piece because I'm writing it right now. I'm studying it and learning it awesome. um, from, from my own compositions. Um, that's a hard question. You know, it's a little bit like I imagine somebody says, who was your favorite child? And, right. <laughs> you know, and, can't, split, and can't split the baby, it's, right? It's, yeah. yeah. And that being said, I have a, I have a feeling that secretly parents might have favorite children. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there, I mean, of my compositions, I think that I, the one we've, we've done a number of times, which is Wilbur, the waltzing pig, oh, it's yeah. this piece for contrabassoon and orchestra. And it sounds mm-hmm. like a pig snorting. Um, that one, as well as the Ukrainian Christmas Overture. We've done both uh, of those on a, on a holiday concert. And yeah. I really enjoy those, you know. I mean, I, um, my wife is Ukrainian, and, and it, it, it also is a very uh, challenging time right now for Ukrainians. So we've done that piece a number of times. And I like what those pieces mean to me. So mm. I, I uh, yeah. That's great. That's great. Really beautiful stuff. What music do you listen to when you are not working? And I'm talking about the artists, uh, the composers' music that you lean toward when you just need pure enjoyment. It's a great question. It's a great question. I, I was driving to an interview a few months ago in San Bernardino, and I was asked the same question. What music did you listen to on the drive over here? And I, I have... I drive a 1990 Saab 900 Turbo SPG, and, and I answered the question. I said, I listen to the beautiful hum of my Saab. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I say that now because, because you know, um, I, it's very difficult for me to listen to music uh, because my mind analyzes it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an analogy for this. My favorite cuisine is Ethiopian food. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've never cooked it. I don't know any of the spices. I'm completely unfamiliar with any of the components in cooking it, as opposed to Indian food, which I also adore. And I, I studied Indian cooking and I, I cook a lot of Indian food and I know all the spices and I know exactly what I'm doing there. And the reason I've never bothered to learn Ethiopian spices is because I wanted to have some kind of a cuisine that I can go enjoy without thinking about, oh, this this sambusa tastes like this, or this, this, um, you know, injera should be, a, is a little too spongy or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't want that analysis happening. Mm-hmm. So for me in music, that's usually jazz. I, I think jazz has the, the complexity, the profundity of, of let's call it Western classical music, but um, I don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. I, I admire people who can play jazz greatly, um, I'm also artistic director at Village Concerts, and we have a whole afternoon of jazz coming up in January, and I'm not involved. I'm going to be sitting in the audience like everybody else. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I can't pretend to know something. I never studied jazz. Um, I dabble in, in what I think jazz is when I'm composing, but that's not jazz. Mm-hmm. The ability to improvise like that, I, I am in awe of people who can do it. I want to turn now to the California Festival. So many musical events have taken place across the state since... November 3rd, and coming up on November 19th, there are 17 performances taking place throughout the state, and several are happening here in Southern California. You've got one or a few going on in LA, Culver City, Wilmington, Torrance, San Diego, and Riverside. The Riverside concert is called Music for the People. Talk about the compositions that Riverside Philharmonic will be performing that afternoon. We're doing... Two symphonies by Franz Josef Haydn, one of the uh, um, early 
classical composers. We're doing two of them because they were short. In those days, people wrote very short symphonies. Each one's like maybe 20 minutes. Um, Haydn always wrote music that everybody could relate to. All, there's always uh, in, inside jokes, kind of internal humor. People would always, he was very much a, 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 a man of the people even in his day. This is 1732 to 1809. He would always go to the pub afterwards with the musicians. He would never, you know, be wanted to be treated like anything special, just one of the musicians. And I, I, I just, I love him, his music and his personality. One of my favorite uh, composers for that reason. Uh, also on that program is by Bella Bartok, a piece called uh, uh, Romanian Folk Dances. Bartok obviously was a Hungarian composer, but he traveled around Hungary, Transylvania, Romania, that, that part of the world with an early gramophone recording device. And he would record folk music, which he then notated and would incorporate into his music. So his music literally kind of has this component that, that, that embedded into the fabric, just like Dawson with the Negro Folk Symphony, actually, the music comes from this kind of ancestral primordial um, uh, uh, background of his people. And I, I, I think it's really wonderful. And then uh, on that program is a piece by Anna Klein, a British composer. Uh, she is wonderful and has her music played all over the world by some of the world's greatest orchestras. And we're doing a piece of hers called Stride, which is based on um, Beethoven's Pathétique Sonata, the piano sonata. And it kind of takes little snippets of it and, and makes a very unique sounding piece out of it. And it's really, really great for the audience and um accessible and fun. And I think people are going to really enjoy it. Sounds wonderful. Going to be a real treat uh, for the senses. Uh, before I let you go, uh, I do want you to say another word about the Riverside Philharmonic and what you feel makes this particular group of musicians special. What makes them so special to you? Well, on a personal note, you know, I my, met my wife, in that orchestra. I mean, she's associate concertmaster of the orchestra and we met at a rehearsal. I mean, that's, that's how it happened. So as a result of that, I have developed very close friendships with many people in the orchestra. I think that I have since become a much better conductor and person mm. <laughs> just because of her. Um, mm. So I feel like that group in many ways uh, has shaped me into who I am. So, so for me personally, I'm, I'm forever grateful to Riverside Philharmonic. Um, and when I say Philharmonic, of course, the, the musicians are extraordinary, as I mentioned before, but the Riverside Philharmonic is also a wonderful board. Uh, we have a board chairman, Virginia Blumenthal. We have a great executive director, Becky Watley, and, and so many uh, wonderful board members who are supportive and are, are prominent members of the community and, and have you know, a real love of Riverside and a real desire to do what whatever needs to be done to make sure that uh, Riverside continues to be the city of arts and innovation. And certainly as a large group like a, Philharm a symphony orchestra, Riverside Philharmonic, it, I believe and the board believes that this really is our responsibility in many ways to, to show other smaller organizations how we can be relevant, we can be part of the fabric of the community. It really does take a village. It, it really, really does. does. <laughs> it really it does. does. Uh, the talented musicians alone, it's, it's just not enough to push out uh, this fantastic gift. And uh, we thank everyone who was involved in helping Riverside realize this, this wonderful treasure 
that we have here with the Riverside Philharmonic. Uh, for more information about the California Festival, a celebration of new music and the concerts throughout Southern California on Sunday, November 19th, uh, folks can visit cafestival.org. That's cafestival.org. Lots of great information there. Tomas Golka, Southern California, including Riverside, shines brighter because of your musical talents. And I, I really want to thank you for spending time with me today. And I wish you and the Riverside Philharmonic all the best during your performance on November 19th and all the other performances to come. We will be listening. Thank you so much. Thank you, Angela. I'm Angela Ross. Thanks for listening. Remember to follow SoCal Voices on social media at SoCal Voices and hop on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. We love to hear from our listeners, so drop us a line at contactus at socalvoices.com.